Well, that was a song. I think I'd like to hear that one again. That, there was a lot to that. Matter of fact, Taylor, I don't know if you can hear, but if, if you give me the nod at the end that you don't mind re-singing that at the very end one more time, I'll uh, relinquish some time because that was powerful. And it actually is perfect because I want to speak about hope this morning. So that's uh, maybe God at work. So I'll just kind of watch and see how that goes. Well, if you turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 18. You know, when Dean was mentioning the picnic tomorrow and started to mention the weather forecast, I immediately listened to that and wanted to see if I concurred with him because I was only studying the weather charts last night at work. And uh, he's right. It won't be as hot as it was during the week. And I think the temperature will max out about 90, which is about 15 degrees cooler than it was a few days ago. Winds will be from the north at about 10, 15 miles an hour. It reminds me of a story when, about a few years ago, Cindy and I were at a bed and breakfast in Santa Rosa, and there was, um, if you've been to those before, there's usually a few tables and so forth, and so we're sitting there having a breakfast, and I heard this, these two couples from back east, and they were wanting to ask the caretaker at the, at the inn, um, what was the weather going to be like for the day, because you know how it is here in the Bay Area, that you can get the fog in the morning, and then it burns back to the coast at lunch, and so I... They obviously were under the impression with that fog at 9 in the morning that it was probably going to rain during the day in the summer. And I, of course, knew that wasn't going to happen following the weather. And so I was eavesdropping in their conversation and then said to them, you know, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt. but And then the words got all tongue-tied because I meant to say I'm an amateur meteorology buff, but instead I said I'm a buff amateur meteorologist. <laughs> And I, re- I remember there was this kind of strange look on their face. <laughs> and I actually didn't pick up what I had said. And so I, I whispered as I m- sat back down and said to Cindy, did I say something wrong there? And she told me, you said it a little bit backwards there. So I won't come up to you ever and say I'm a, you know, a buff amateur <laughs> meteorologist. Stories told about a man who approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon, and he asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. And the boy responded, 18 to nothing, we're behind. Boy, said this spectator, I'll bet you're discouraged. And he said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> and the title of the message this morning is From Despair to Hope. I was thinking when I was last here, I was on the theme of discouragement. So this is, the, I think, the end of my series on these subjects. But we, if you remember, last time we looked at Elijah, and we looked at how uh, he was discouraged and how, how he ran and how God you know, cared for him and took care of him by giving him food and rest and really ministered to his need. And over the spring and summer, I've been doing a study in David and just noticing this man. And it made me think of this as a... As a Part two, if you like, of the message, and really the question is this morning is, what would you say to a person who tells you that um, he or she has no hope? Uh, maybe they wouldn't word it quite that way, but in their very words, that's what they're saying. What do you, what do you say to that person? This morning while I was at work, uh, got off at 6 or so this morning, and around 4.30 or so, this man called, and he had uh, wanted to commit suicide. 
and he had taken an overdose of a number of pills. And so one of the dispatchers in our room was talking to him, and I was listening to the conversation as I was dispatching the police and fire there and was just thinking, what do you say to ones who come to that point where life is so despairing? And, of course, I thought she did an excellent job as far as she can go and what she could say and how she could comfort and how she could talk until we arrived so that he didn't fall into a deep sleep or something like that. But as believers, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ today, I'm sure our answer probably can be a little bit more, have a little bit more depth than what she was able to say on the phone today. And very much what Taylor sang today was, was it, isn't it? It is the, the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at Calvary's cross. And in his pain, what good he's brought to our lives in his suffering and how he rose again. And what do you say? And then, of course, the question is, is what don't you say? What would you not say? And I would suggest you don't say things will get better soon in a glib kind of way. There's a brighter day tomorrow. Stop whining. You know, get on with it. Count your blessings. There may be something that might have a little bit better antidote to that situation, a little bit better medication. And I suggest it's when we often we're going to quote wisely and in a timely way the word of God. In Psalm 18, let's just read that. We're not going to read the whole passage. We've got a Labor Day picnic tomorrow, and I'd have you here till tomorrow if we read all Psalm 18. But let's just look at a couple verses, 18 verses 1 to 6. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Wonderful, isn't it? Verse 16. He sent me on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And then verses 46 to 50, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Wow. You know, it's interesting to read Psalm 18 and you can see very much that the Lord Jesus in Psalm 18 in what these words are saying about what his experience was at the cross. And it's a very vivid picture of, of him. And we can also see it, I think, in the context of David in his life 
and what he went through. And so many love this man, David. And you may be one of those folks today, besides the Lord Jesus, who are those Bible characters you love? And some here may say David. And what we love so much about those who are the, the Davidites, if you like, and those who love him are the fact that he had such a, a love and passion for God. And that's why so many of the Psalms that were written by him, we just read those and we just cling on to those. And we just um, hang on to every word because so much of what he expressed in his love for God and in his passion and his, what he was thinking and feeling and his emotions, he lets us see it by the power of God and the Spirit who had him write these wonderful poems of what he recorded. Very real man. And really, if you ever want to, over the Labor Day weekend and so forth, you've got to hurry now, but it's Sunday already. But first and second, Samuel is where we read so much of what happened in David's life. And we see, uh, when we see these Psalms, we can understand if we know first and second Samuel exactly what was occurring in his life. Interestingly, God has let us know more about David than maybe any other person in the Bible as far as just a man goes. And you think about him, and if you know a little bit, he was a wonderful ruler. He was a military and political genius. And we sure appreciate the fact that he was a poet of exceptional skill. He was a talented musician. And he was the architect, of course, who designed the temple that Solomon built. And usually a person like this is someone that we kind of gravitate away from because they seem too big. You know, too great in that sense. And yet we very much identify with him because God also lets us see his humanity and his sinfulness and some of his failings. We see how God uses the choices and the crises in his life to transform his character. And exactly what we were just hearing in that letter that the Coopers wrote, the big idea is to shape Maria, shape Ron, shape the family, shape us into the person that God wants us to be by allowing these things to happen in our lives, these crises. And they do make us or break us, don't they? They, they really are. Those things that are that litmus test of how strong our faith is, not our faith being strong, but the object of our faith being in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that being in him. You say, well, 2 Samuel 22 kind of looks awful familiar and similar to this, and that it is. And in both places, it's a song that David sang, and it's this most wonderful thing. And we can identify with this in a lot of ways. It's when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of this character, Saul, who was just this absolute thorn in his side. He was really, a, many ways, what we describe in the profession as a 5150 or something who is psychotic, if you like, and deranged, and it's almost as though the devil was having his way in some strange way in his life. And it was really a troubling thing. And you say, well, what was the solution? How do you move from, from despair to hope? And isn't it really those first three verses of Psalm 18? Look at them again. It's having this occupation, if you like, preoccupation with God. And rather than it pouring out into a despairing psalm where he's seen all of the circumstances that have been troubling him, and probably this psalm may have been written, this poem, toward the end of his life, as he's reflecting back, it's an opportunity to praise and worship God for what he's done. And I love that first verse. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Another way it's translated is, I will affectionately... Love thee. And in Hebrew, 
I understand that this word is in the context of where he says his love. It's to love with the deepest and strongest affections of the heart. With all the bowels. It's this in deep, deep love that David has for God. And it is, isn't it, a picture of tenderness. And it really does give us the intensity of his love for God. David being a warrior and everything I described, you might think this might be the kind of man that wouldn't express this kind of affection publicly or maybe convey this and how beautiful it is that whether man or woman, whatever we are, large, strong, buff, thin, whatever, that we have the ability just to say, I love you, Lord, with no shame, with, with no fear, with no timidity. But whomever will listen to us to be able to say these very words, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Interesting, as you look at those first couple of verses in Psalm 18, you see that God, or that David, talks about the care of God, and he characterizes it with five military symbols. And that isn't all that strange, knowing where David is coming from. And notice that all these terms that he uses are words of power, strength, and security. For example, rock. Look at all the verses that you can find, the word study you can do on rock. There is no doubt that one of the words, one of the characteristics of our God that he is described as, is he is described as a rock. And that's a fascinating thing. It's a different word for rock here in the first part of verse 2 than what he says at the last part where he says, my God, my rock. In this context, it's referring to like a cliff or a crag. Can't be moved. It's a place of shelter. A couple weeks ago, Cindy and I were in Hawaii, in Kauai, and the most amazing thing was is when we were on this little boat trip and we went up to this sea, this area called the Nepali Coast. I don't know if anybody had been there. Oh, good. And if you, you can't get there by road, but what you can do is, is you take this boat and you see, and you, when you're going alongside the, the, the Pacific, you have these huge, this huge cliff. And you have these caves, and you can actually, in the summertime, you can, the boat, uh, the driver took us into the caves. And the caves were like the size of this entire room. And sometimes they were a little bit bigger than that. And he backed the boat in. And you looked up and you saw these, these cliffs and where it just went up a couple of hundred feet where you saw birds taking shelter and resting. And that's where their place of safety was, by going into that cave and onto that cliff. And it made me think of Psalm 18. That's exactly what God is for us. He's that place of shelter. And he's that place of safety. He's our fortress, as it says in the passage. And he's that shield that comes between us and harm. He's that shield that's going to block that. He protects our hearts, doesn't he? And he protects our minds when we're getting assaulted and things are happening and circumstances are happening in our life and stuff is happening that we wouldn't have necessarily asked for. We wouldn't have said, God, I'd like you to do this tomorrow, but he allows it anyway. And then, of course, what the enemy wants to do with that, like what he did with Job, is say, look, what this is going to do all these things to you, and just let's just see how strong your faith is in God. And the wonderful thing about the Lord is that he protects our hearts with that shield, that shield of faith, as Paul talks about in Ephesians. There was a man the other day in Hayward, night before last, was, was murdered in a, just a vicious bar fight that was just wild for about 10 minutes. It was pretty crazy. And this guy, and I can't go into the details, of course, but it would have been good for him to have had a shield. It would have been good for him to have a shield of protection when the bullets were coming. 
But he didn't have that. And very quickly, just on the ground, talking to his family, and then within about 10 seconds after saying a couple words, the eyes rolled back. And that man now was going to be going into eternity. Makes you wonder, where is he now if he didn't know the Lord Jesus? The scriptures are pretty clear. And then, of course, he's our horn. You say, well, you know, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. That word horn simply is a symbol of, of might and power. You think about the, the kind of animals that you don't want to have confront you someday on a one-on-one. You know, if it's a bull and with that horn, you know, that's how they, they fight and they put forth their strength and they show it largely by the use of those horns. And if we've seen any of those nature shows, we see how huge these things can be. God says that he's our horn. And then he's our stronghold. The amazing thing, isn't it, that when I give you each of those words, rock, fortress, shield, horn, and stronghold, it really is a picture worth a thousand words, isn't it? Because when you think of those words, you immediately start to think because you can visualize that and you can see it. And when, the, when someone has penned the idea that a picture is worth a thousand words, it's very much penned from, I think, what God does for us in his kindness. So what do those pictures mean to us today? We certainly can move from despair and move into hope in our lives if we're focusing on the character of God and praising him for being these very things to us. Praise him today that he's your rock, your fortress, and as the song says, in whom you can trust. And how important that is, isn't it? Because when those things happen in our lives that want to move us and shift us into despair and discouragement is to remember the fact that if our minds are stayed on God and we're drawing in that strength and in that comfort of him being our shelter, then that is the key, isn't it? That's going to help us. Rather than obviously focusing like when Peter did when he went onto the water, God called him out of that place of safety into something new. And rather than, of course, and when he did, looking down, he realized he was sinking. But when he kept his eyes on the Lord Jesus, he was okay. You know, it's not all that profound, is it? It's simple, and yet it's something that, by childlike faith, God wants us to do and to trust him. So we need to see God for who he is. And I trust this morning, we're into the afternoon now, I trust that you see God for who he is in your life and that view of your God is, is increasing. Uh, your understanding of his greatness and his majesty is stronger today than it was this time last Labor Day weekend, but that you're growing and understanding that you have a wonderfully, and I have a wonderfully big God. In contrast to how large he is in comparison, we have small problems in large of how great he is. I don't minimize the problems, but in view of our God, he's great. That's where the psalmist says, how great is our God. And so David, when he thinks of all the trials and all the things that have happened in his life, the second thing that I think he does in verses 4 to 5 is he's penned to say, you know, let's, let's seize or size up the situation. What, what was going on? And in a general sense, he mentions these words. And again, I do think of the Lord Jesus in verses 4 and 5. The cords of death encompassed me and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me and the snares of death confronted me. When you read verses 4 and 5, you say, hmm, I don't really understand exactly what that's all about, but I know this, 
that he's not talking about just those little small nuisances in our lives that occur. But this is something bigger. This is something greater. This is something where you're aware of the fact that this is life and death, what's going on here. And yet God was big enough and strong enough to deliver and help him in that situation. Entangled, overwhelmed, coiled around, confronted. And you think in our lives, well, maybe it hasn't been. I've had a a guy named Saul chasing after me on a number of occasions. Or all the other things that were actual teams have been wanting to battle me and armies and so forth. But there's those circumstances, and you know what they are, where you have a sense that maybe whatever it was, it was entangling you. And it was causing fear. And it was something that you were having to confront. And so what did David do? Well, he sought the solution to what do we do in those circumstances. In verse 6, he says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Why sometimes are we so often to neglect doing that or wanting to postpone that? It's almost like that story that I think I've told before where there was a crisis in a church and someone said, you know what, we, we need to call a, an evening of prayer. And someone, I think it was one of the deacons, looked at the other and said, has it come to that? You know, has it come to that that the, almost like the last thing we're thinking of is that we need to pray? When really what David said, in my distress, he didn't say, you know, I, I ran to other people. And he says, I called upon the Lord. And he cried to my God for help. And then the awesome thing is, he heard my voice out of the temple. And I love this. And my cry for him, and my cry for help before him, came into his ears. Isn't that good? Came into his ears. A couple times during the night, people were asking me questions. And to be honest with you, I heard their, I heard their words. I was looking at them. I even gave sometimes, I have to be honest, a sort of an acknowledgement, like I understood what you just said, and I had really no idea what they really said. And if they were to come back on me and say, what did I just say right now? Tell me exactly what I just said. I'd probably be struggling a little bit. I maybe sometimes don't understand a person's question. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? I shouldn't say what, but it's sometimes faster than pardon all the time. But what'd you say? You know, and you don't get it. And if you have as you get older, you realize the television volume is having to go higher and the radio's louder and you have that little device on your ear, you know, sometimes that it's getting harder to hear. And yet in here it says about God that my cry for help came before him into his ears. I'm always excited and challenged, and, and I love the story of Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles 20. You don't need to turn to it, but you can just listen. Just a couple of verses of another godly man in the Old Testament who followed this wonderful, wonderful advice, and he was wise to come to God when there's times of distress and when he wants to cry out to God for help. Verse 1 of chapter 20 now came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Menuhites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported Jehoshaphat saying a great multitude is coming against you from beyond, beyond the sea out of Aram and behold they are in Hazaron Tamar. I'm going to find one day in the, when I get to heaven see if I'm pronouncing these words correctly. That'll be one afternoon maybe up in heaven but that is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. And listen, and it says here, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from who? From the Lord. And they even came from all the cities of Judah to what? 
seek the Lord. And then it says in the next two verses, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not a God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Memorize that one, folks. Memorize those two verses from Second Chronicles 20. Because whatever it is we're facing, you confront that. You confront that force or whatever with the power and the truth of those words. And you got a big God. What does David do in Psalm 18? In verse 16, he gives all the credit to God. He says in verse 16, he sent me on high. He did it. Isn't it wonderful how kind our God is? And he, and he does these things. And I love it when I hear us as brothers and sisters, when, when in our conversation, just in the, in the naturalness of it, we're, we're actually just boasting but we're boasting about ourselves and what I did and what I did. But we're saying, God did it. And God did this. And God did that. And God gave me a good day. And God gave me a good night rest. And not that it just becomes like some kind of robotic, mechanical thing. But that is so much on our mind, him, and what he's doing for us. And he says, he set me on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. You think of David and you think of just how brilliant this guy is. And he's got the humility to say, too mighty. Can't do it. And how wonderful for us when we face those situations. It's a great thing. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of trust in God to say, too big. I can't handle this one. Not even close. So guess what, God? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this one to you. I'm giving it to you. He gives all the credit to God. He says in verse 18, They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He saw for what it was that he faced disaster if God did not intervene in some marvelous, miraculous way in his life. And as you know his story, he did over and over again. Funny enough, his only compliment about himself is as is mentioned in verse 19. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And even that, if you like, when we think of that, that God delights in us, that's attributed to the fact that God is gracious in his love toward you and me. Rather than any unworthiness, or I should say, sorry, any worthiness in David or in you and I, but that he delights in us. As a matter of fact, it says in the, and I think it's in Lamentations, that he delights over us with singing. As his children. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I know it's in one of the minor prophets, but that he delights in us and he rescues, and he has that kind of joy for us as a father and as a mother. You're familiar with David in the first and second Samuel, and you see that he suffered honestly, but he suffered well. He didn't expect that life would always be just what it should be. And remember, this was a man that had been a promise that he would be king. But then that didn't happen right away. He had to flee from King Saul, who hated him with a passion. And like I said, he ducked into a cave in one example, and he barely escaped Saul. He was temporarily safe, 
But if you like, he had to always be on watch because this guy was looking for a new opportunity out of jealousy that he had for him to want to kill him. You and I today may not be in a cave. I don't think so. I don't think any of us are in that kind of physical situation where someone's maybe actually after our life. But in a real sense, just as real to our spirits and to our emotions, the threat is still there. And whatever that fear was that David had in his heart over this man wanting to kill him and all the other battles, you have fear. You may have fear today in your heart. Deep sorrow, someone has said, may be pursuing after you because of the death of someone that has just died that you love dearly. It's, it's pursuing you. Think of when we were in Hawaii, we heard the news of, of one of the, uh, our, friend, our daughter's friends who was killed in that double fatal accident on Dublin Canyon Road a couple weeks ago. Of course, she wasn't kind to leave me a text message that said, did you hear about the accident? And that's what I woke up to. And it was like, you know, what accident? And then to hear the news of these two kids that she knew well and that our family had some knowledge of. And I think of those parents today. And one of those couples that lost their son are believers, are strong Christians, and are attending a church in Castor Valley. But I wonder, are they going through, obviously, today, at the loss of an 18-year-old son and the other family, a 17-year-old daughter, deep sorrow. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's around the corner. And for some of us, we look at that as a challenge. Some of us, it scares the socks of us. We want to know. We want to know what's around the corner with our health. We want to know what's around the corner with our future, where our next check is coming from, where we're going to live. I heard just yesterday two, a man and a woman that I know and have known for a number of years who know the Lord and love him, both have been found out that they have cancer that looks very, very serious in both situations. And yet I was with that woman last Sunday morning having a meeting about evangelism and about sharing our faith. And she said, I'm Randy continuing in the class. I'm going to be there on the 14th of September. And if I have chemo in between, I'm going to, by the power of God's might, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be serving God. And when I told her about one person who just recently come to the Lord, there was just this incredible joy in her life. And I thought, man, that's somebody who understands something about Psalm 18. God doesn't always act, though, like we expect. Isn't that what we have to get and figure out in our lives? He doesn't always do it like we would think he should do it. He's not bound by our minds and our thinking. Stories told about a man and a and woman who were in their 60s, and God came down to, to visit them, and he wanted to encourage them because of their, their service and just had the lives that they had lived as believers. And he asked the wife if, if there was one wish that she had, uh, what could he do for her? And she said, well, I would love to visit the United States and go to Europe. And he said, I believe, you know, I can arrange that. And he said to the husband, what's your wish that you would like? And he said, I would like a wife 30 years younger. And so God turned this man who was 60 into 90. (laughs) And he said, now you have a younger wife. God doesn't always do it like we think he's going to do it. He doesn't always remove the difficulty. But what he does promise us over and over and over again, and we see it in Scripture, he promises to help us. 
we wish he'd scoop us away and just like whisk us away, you know, into safety out of any kind of difficulty and trial. David probably would have loved a quick end to this story of Saul and all the pursuits. Just one time's enough that God knew better. But David knew, and you can see it as you read his wonderful poems, that God's goodness could never, ever, ever, ever be exhausted. And he knew that he was a trustworthy God, a loving God, a just God. And so you and I, as we study him and we study what God has done and we remember his faithfulness to us, doesn't that give us the ability to cope? And that's what we need, to have patience, which we may not be, naturally speaking, patient people. And yet that might be the very thing God's wanting to do. When I look at David's life, I say, you know what? The circumstances are different, but he's doing the same work of what he was wanting to do in David. He's wanting to do in me and in you brothers and sisters as well. And for you and I to become spiritually mature, to grow up in our salvation, means that we're going to have to have some some pain in order to have that gain. And then wrapping up in verses 46 and 50, you really think about summing up the future of how David sees it. It's a bright future. He describes that, and really for you and I, consider all the reasons that you need hope right now. Whatever it is in your situation, what do you hope for? And why? Someone has said Christians are people of hope, not of despair. Because, as someone has very wisely said, God has the first word, and he will have the last. I heard the story also about a famous atheist named Jean-Paul Sartre. And a little over a month before he died, he was so strongly resisting feelings of despair that he would say to himself, and sometimes out loud, I know I shall die in hope. But then in profound sadness... He would add, but hope needs a foundation. And he didn't have that. You and I do. David's situation, if you read First and Second Samuel and all the different things in Jehoshaphat for that matter, it looked hopeless. Yet he found reason to hope in God. And God answered him. Cry out to God for help. Just as David do, watch for ways in which God is reaching down to you and the ways that he wants to rescue you from those deep waters, those things that are occurring in your life, reach out to God. Don't wait. Don't resist. Don't try and go solo. But draw upon the Lord in his strength and he'll see you through. Let's give thanks. Father, I want to thank you just for the big God that you are. I want to thank you that where those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ often turn to acts of despair, such as that man this morning wanting to take his life, that we as your people do have a fortress. We do have a shield. We have a horn. We have a rock in you that doesn't move, that doesn't shift, that can be that place of comfort and safety for us. We bless your name. We thank you that this isn't by our own doing, but in your kindness to us, you have reached out and you have touched us and saved us by the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today that if there's anyone feeling despairing, anyone today who just feels at their the end of the rope, that's at their, their wit's end and doesn't know you, that they will indeed 
come to you as the anchor for their soul. That will forgive them of all their sin. And I pray for us as your people here today as well. That we too will just draw upon the example of the Cooper home. And see that they in fact turn to a God in times of trouble and difficulty. And that we can as well. Thank you for our time together. Pray you bless the rest of this day and the picnic tomorrow for the saints here. That you'll keep them safe and have a good fellowship and good time together. In Jesus' name. Amen.